All right, Ephesians chapter 2, we're in, a, in this section called Made Alive. And we are specifically looking at verses 11 through 19 this morning, Alive and at Peace. When you hear that title, maybe you've already thought, oh, Alive and at Peace, good, because my life's struggling, uh, I'm stressed, I'm anxious, I could use a good sermon on Alive and at Peace. Well, sorry, that's not what this one's about. Uh, Is it true that when we are made alive in Christ that he gives us the gift of peace? Yes. A peace, the scripture says, which surpasses all understanding. So that's a great promise of God. And I'm not dismissing it. It's just not the peace that's in the passage this morning. Uh, There's a peace that we are made alive to that's different than simply an inner peace that makes a difference for the church and for us as individual followers of Jesus. And so I want us to see what it means for us to be an alive and at peace from these verses in Ephesians 2. So follow along with me, opening few verses. Verse 11, therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision. Now, why were they called uncircumcision? Because they weren't circumcised. (laughs) Because circumcision was represented, in that time, Jewish. Only Jews were circumcised. Not so true anymore. But that would have been true as Paul's writing this. So the Gentiles would have been called the uncircumcised. The Jews would have been called the circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. So he's simply talking about the literal act of circumcision. Remember that you, the uncircumcised, the Gentiles, which by the way, if, you, if this is speaking about you, raise your hand if you're a Gentile. Okay, if you're not sure, if you're not Jewish, you should have your hands up, okay? <laughs> Seriously, okay. So this is about us. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Pretty dismal. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near, how? By the blood of Christ, for he himself is our, say it, he's our peace. Yes, our inner peace, but peace, not an inner peace that he's talking about here. What's he talking about? He's talking about he is our relational peace. And that relational peace he's speaking in these opening verses is a vertical peace. He is our, Jesus is our peace with God. As Gentiles, the passage describes us as this. Separated, excluded, strangers, and hopeless. That's all in verse 12. That's how we were in our spiritual condition prior to the cross. Separated from God, excluded from what God was doing. Strangers and hopeless. Verse 13 adds, we were far off. And if you took a peek down to verse 19, that we were aliens. I want us to capture fully that as Gentiles, there was a brokenness with God, right? 
Separated, excluded, strangers, aliens, far off. But what happened? But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So because we are talking about a relational piece, a vertical relationship with God, uh, if you're taking notes, drop down in your handout from the second point to the third point. The relational impact of the cross is first this, that the far, the far from God are brought near. They are brought into relationship with him. Christ Jesus is our peace with God. He brought us near. As a group, vastly Gentile, this is a moment for us to go. That's why we said it in song. How blessed. How blessed to be called friends of God. What grace wasn't what we did. It was what was done on our behalf. See, it, it says this about the cross of Christ. Don't miss it. When John writes, he says, he, Jesus himself, is the propitiation for our sins. Pause. It's not a word we normally use, but I think you've probably learned over the years if you've been a part. Propitiation, the satisfying of God's wrath. That's what propitiation means. That the wrath that we deserved because of our sin has been satisfied. How? By Christ. For he himself is the propitiation for our sins. Not, and not for our sins only, but also for those of the whole world. Think of the fact that some of you are probably in relationship with some really, really bad people. And you may think, too far. They may think, too far, too bad, too evil. And I want you to hear, because you might think about this yourself. Now the wrath that all of us deserve, from the worst of the worst to the best of the best, because the best our righteousness is, is filthy rags, according to the scriptures that the wrath was satisfied by Jesus. So that we, who were far off and excluded and strangers, brought to be with him. I want to invite you. If you think you're too far gone, you're not. God loves you. Christ has paid the penalty for you. The wrath you deserve He's not going to just wink at it and overlook it. He poured it out on his son so that you could be saved, so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be made new, so that you could be at peace with God. See, would be, before you go to sleep tonight, and you're laying there with your head on your pillow, be sure you're at peace with God. You're not going to work your way there. You're only going to trust in Jesus 
to do something for you that you couldn't do for yourself. If you have never cried out to Jesus to be your savior, I invite you to do that today. He is the propitiation for our sin. And for everybody you know, and for everybody you'll ever meet, he's taken the wrath. So that if we would believe in him, we could be called friends of God, children of God, sons and daughters of God. That's great news. What grace, what grace we have been shown in Christ. So he is our peace. But there's another peace that he is. And it's not just vertical peace and it's not just inner peace within ourselves. It is a horizontal relational peace with one another. The cross is intended to deal with these relationships as well. How did he deal with that? Verse 14, for he himself is our peace. And this is a, that, that statement is a transition there. He's been talking about vertical peace. What Christ has done for us before the Father, and now he moves it to horizontal. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Oh, what in the world is he talking about? What two groups is he talking about? Remember back to verse 11? He's talking about Jews and Gentiles. There was a dividing wall between. There was hostility between them. He broke it down. Next verse. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, the hostility, the hatred, the lack of peace. He abolished it, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man. I don't want you to miss that. Two distinct, now God is creating through Jesus In his church, the body of Christ, a new people that used to be two distinct groups into one new man, thus establishing, say it, peace. See, God has intended peace vertically through Christ, and he has intended peace horizontally through Christ, and he has intended peace inwardly through Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. It's intended to be the outworking because of the cross. The relationship between Jews and Gentiles prior to the cross was twofold. It says they were divided, there was a wall between them, and there was enmity, there was hostility. This was the existing relationship between Jews and Gentiles when Jesus, the Son of God, took on human flesh and walked the planet. There was hostility between them. This is why, maybe you'll know the story in John chapter 4, where Jesus stops after traveling a long way with his disciples. He's tired and he stops outside of a city called Sychar in the land of Samaria. The disciples are already surprised that they didn't go around Samaria because Jews did not interact with Samaritans because Samaritans were, in our language, half-breeds. They were part Jew, part 
Gentile. And so Jews despised them. They were on the other side of the dividing wall and they would literally avoid going through the territory so as not to interact with them. And Jesus walked right through the heart of Samaria and then stopped. And he engaged, of all people, a Samaritan woman about living water. The disciples missed it. They were in town getting food. When they get food and bring it back to the well, they're like, whoa, Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman. This guy blows our mind. There's not peace between us. But the woman hears Jesus and mercy and grace and believes and what she do she goes into town where the disciples had just been and tells hey come meet this man and all of these people come out to the well and Jesus now this is the point he he grabs his disciples and he goes hey guys Lift up your eyes and look at the ripened fields. And he's not talking about oats or wheat or barley. He's talking about people from the town walking out to him. Invited to him by the woman. How many of them did the disciples invite out to meet Jesus? How many? Zero. Nobody. Why? Because they lived on the wrong side of the tracks. Because they were born the wrong ethnicity. They were Samaritans. And there's a wall right here, baby. And we don't interact with them. And Jesus said, we do. And we invite them. Because he knew the Father's plan was to do what? Abolish the division, to break down the wall, to end the hostility and take two and make them, um, my grandkids love this. <laughs> Some of you missed it. Take the two and made them one. One new, new. He didn't just take two same people and just blend them together and say, get along, work it out. That's important. He said, I'm going to break down the hostility and I'm going to make you new and I'm going to make you new and you two new are going to become one. That's the power of the cross. And I hope you captured that he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh, I want you to see this, uh, uh, which is the law of ordinance contained in ordinances, commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body, one body now, to God through the cross by it, having put to death the enmity. You see that? How was enmity abolished? He killed it by being killed. 
This is, this is why, again, I want us to see that the cross was the propitiation. It was the satisfying of the wrath. He didn't just say, hey, get along. He took the hostility put to death by being put to death. You got it? He put it to death by being put to death. The far are brought near. That's vertically horizontal. The formally divided Jews and Gentiles are now what? Made one. One new man. One new body. The cross changed the social, relational dynamics of the day. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away. Who do you you think that has in mind there? Who've already been defined as far away in the passage? Gentiles. And peace to those who were near. Jews. In other words, were those who near automatically at peace with God? No. No. Jews need Jesus as much as Gentiles. It's that the Gentiles didn't think he was for them, and the Jews didn't think they needed him. Both needed the power of the cross. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. See, I love this. If, if our culture is divided between these, these people and these people, there's a wall between, and we're going to get to God, we each need our own, we, we each need our own door. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth to life. I am the door. The only way there can be one door for all people is if the wall gets broken down. Otherwise, some are excluded. See the power of the cross? Through him, we both, Jew and Gentile, the far and the near, have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then, You're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Now, tons more on that next week because there's some pictures here that that he's putting in our heads that I don't want us to miss. But for now, as it relates to peace between the broken, he says, the divided are made one and the hostile. What'd they become? They became a family. They became a household of which the Jew would call him father and the Gentile would call him father. Same dad. And as we've already established in Ephesians, best dad ever. The hostile became a household. In other words, enemies became friends.
Does this make a difference for the church? Yeah. See, I, I want us to understand that Paul's not just waxing theoretical. He's, he's addressing a real issue in a real church at that time. In other words, Jesus said, come on, guys, see the ripened fields. It's not just us, it's Gentiles. But the church had a hard time changing. Sound familiar? <laughs> yeah, the church had a hard time changing. Man, we get in our ruts, we like to stay in our ruts. I'll use my own name in vain there. We like to stay in it. And we don't like when people mess with what we are used to. And Jesus blew up what they were used to. And he said, this animosity, this hostility between people groups is not to the glory of God. I'm breaking it down. All people are going to come through one door. That makes a difference for the church. Significant difference for the church then. Jews, get along with Gentiles. Learn to love one another from different cultural backgrounds. Learn to give grace. Learn to look out not only for yourselves, but for others who have grown up differently and who have been taught differently. Learn to live as one new body. The ramifications for the church Pretty obvious. First, let's understand that the church, the household, I'm using the expression from the passage, the household of God is intended to be multi-ethnic. Paul captured it. When he became an apostle, he understood. And so he writes to the, in Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone. Yeah. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's why the apostle John, when he has the image, the vision for the future, he says of Jesus, you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men, and this isn't to the exclusion of women. He's saying humanity from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You see, we, we as Christian Family Chapel need to understand that the household of God is intended to be multi-ethnic, which means this. Cross-cultural missions is essential, not elective in a gospel-centered church. We're missing an in there. Cross-cultural missions is essential, not elective in a gospel-centered church. You might think, well, every church is gospel-centered. It's not. And one of the ways... If the Lord ever moves you out of Jacksonville and you find yourself looking for another church that's going to honor the Lord and be in line with the scriptures. This isn't often intuitive to many folks. You ask this question, 
How are they involved in engaging people beyond themselves? Often people think, oh, I know there's a segment of people who love missions, and that's their deal. That's really not my deal. My deal is this. That does not reflect the heart of God. What what was Jesus' final command? (laughs) You'll be my witnesses. When? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Oh, ho, 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 ho. Crossing cultural. Yeah. To the uttermost part of the earth. To the ends of earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Missions exist at Christian Family Chapel not because there's some people who are interested in missions. Missions exist at Christian Family Chapel because Jesus is the head of our church. And Jesus said, I have broken down the ethnic walls that divide to make a new body where there is peace. See, I think maybe you misunderstand when I encourage, if you're not engaged in missions, to take a step to connect with one of our commended missionaries to help support the team that's coming back from Ukraine that just spent the last week sharing the gospel in Ukraine, to connect with some of, one of our 20-some missionaries on the wall when you walk through our lobby here in the South Auditorium. We, we put it there because it's not elective. It's the heart of what the cross accomplished. So I hope you're, hope you're challenged right now, quite frankly, if you're not engaged in some way with the gospel going beyond simply Middle class white, American, Southern, (laughs) then we're missing the heart of God. We need to be bigger than that because God is bigger than that. And He's calling us to be His ambassadors across ethnic lines. It's why. We send a team to Ukraine. It's why we have commended missionaries. It's why we host weekly TESOL, teaching English to speakers of other languages. Because God has brought the nations to St. Augustine Road. That's why one of the marvelous moments a couple weeks ago when we celebrated a bunch of baptisms was, and you missed it if you came to 9, at 11, 10.45, uh, our next service, we had a young man who came to Christ because his parents started coming to Tesol. They started coming to Tesol. He started coming, came into our college group and gave his life to Christ and stood up here and gave his testimony, not in English. We needed a translator. That's a good moment for the church. Because that reflects what we know we're going to experience in all eternity. So friends, 
Let's not get inward and start just thinking about only us and embrace those who aren't exactly like us. If any relationship personally with someone who isn't just like you, doesn't look exactly like you, didn't grow up exactly like you, doesn't speak like you, because birds of a feather tend to flock together at church. Right? And that misses the beauty of the breadth of the body of Christ. And we can do it in, in really subtle ways. I didn't know I was a Yankee till I moved south. <laughs> I didn't. I knew I grew up north of the... See, there's some of you booing me right now. Uh, I grew up... I knew I grew up north of the Mason-Dixon line, Pennsylvania. I didn't know I was a Yankee. And I came south. I go, whoa, where are you from, Pennsylvania? Oh, you're Yankee. <laughs> huh? Yeah, you're Yankee. And then I found out I'm a blank Yankee. <laughs> Which means what? I stayed. Yes, yes. Oh, you stayed. You're a blank Yankee. It's for the children in the room. <laughs> now, all in good fun for most. Right? But sometimes we just want to stay within our little circle. And the gospel is calling us out. The cross has broken down the dividing wall. So we, as a church, will commit to continue to expand our global impact. I think, so there's always the reason, I think sometimes the church is reluctant to engage in missions because that's going to cost money. And if we invest money in that, then that's going to take away money for here and then we might not be able to do all the things we want to do. So let's just stay here. Here's what we believe. I want you to hear this clearly. God pays for what he orders. God pays for what he orders. And what has he said he wants? People from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. So we need never be concerned that if we will give ourselves to what God has given himself to in his son, the breaking down of the walls so that all people could come, that we could give ourselves to that and sometimes we would, somehow we would get left high and dry and he would abandon us. God pays for what he orders. We believe that as a church. I hope you'll believe that individually and it will not be finances the thing that keeps you from taking a step missions-wise. Second, no place. I feel like this should go without saying, but it needs said. There is no place for ethnic division or hostility within the household of God. No place for that. Is it present in our culture? Yes. Yes. It's exceedingly present. And it's one of the greatest talking points right now. And this is not a political statement. This is a biblical 
understanding of a gospel-oriented breaking down of the wall that says, when folks come to church, when folks experience the body of Christ corporately and you, the body of Christ individually, they should experience someone who has no more hostility, no enmity, no, no division, no mindset that sees somehow lesser. No place in the household of faith. As we go through Ephesians, we're going to see there's a lot of parallel between Ephesians and Colossians. Colossians 3 says this, don't lie to one another. Why? Since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. In other words, lying is something that used to be who you were. You lied because you were dead in your sin. That's how you lived. But put on the new self who's being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. In other words, you were dead in your sin. You were a son of disobedience and so you lied. But that's not who you are anymore. You're not just trying to become a better person. You've been made new by the power of the gospel. And because you're new, you stop doing what the old did. The old lied. The new speaks truth. That's the principle. Watch it applied now to another category. Next verse. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man. What's he saying? Before I'm born again. And so I... I expect, doesn't mean I like it or approve of it, but I expect an unredeemed culture to draw lines, to make divisions, and there to be hostility. But the scripture insists that those who have been made new, who are new in Christ, would say those divisions are old thinking, old ways. I put them aside. They're dead. Now, there's us. And us is pretty diverse. Greek and Jew. Circumcised and uncircumcised. Barbarian. Now, I don't know what you think of barbarian, but you might think of a guy who runs around with a club and like, Beats people, right? They're barbarian. Yars. That's not what, when Paul writes barbarian, he's not thinking of that. When he writes barbarian, he's thinking the uncivilized guy. No offense here. In our language, don't be offended here. This is what this, hick. Georgia. I only saw, I only came to my head with my buddy over here. I saw, there it is. That's a, no, that's a 100% joke. 100% joke. <laughs> Cynthian. 
that's the barbarian that you thought of. That's the serial killer. Seriously. In Paul's day, when he writes Cynthia, and they're like, ooh, you don't want him living on your street. He's not, not the coarse, not the rough guy, the killer. You got, what, in the household of faith? People of all sorts of color, ethnicity, moral background, economic background, and now we are one. See, this is important, folks. It's important as a church that we capture it. Jackie and I, first time we visited CFC in 1987, it wasn't an ethnic thing. It was an economic thing. We drove in here and we're like, rich people, poor people, out of here. Seriously. According to the U.S. government, we were the poorest of the poor. We visited CFC and people weren't rude. It was just my eyes told me, I don't fit here. We don't fit here. I do not wear the right clothes. (laughs) And we can come back for three months. I'm not pointing any fingers. It's just we looked a particular way. And therefore, because we looked a particular way, felt like, ah, others aren't invited. We want to do everything we can to make sure that we recognize there's no division. We are one, rich, poor, blue collar, white collar, college educated, high school dropout. Yankee, Southern. Georgia, Florida. white black Indian Asian one in Christ and and their needs I want you to hear me say should be no hint or even appearance of a distinction among us Christ Christ Killed it by being killed. But Christ is all and in all. See, I reserve that. I didn't make that up. I just kept that off because I wanted you to see no distinction, but I want you to see, oh, there is actually one distinction. Who gets it? Christ. In other words, within the household of God, supremacy is reserved to Jesus alone. This right here, not some little silly thing we do. This makes all the difference in terms of who we are as a body of Christ. That we would say, we live under the authority of God. This, this, the written word who reveals the living word, Jesus, this gets supremacy at Christian Family Chapel. And the rest of us, No distinction, only Christ. When you come in, 
uh, you were given a elements for Lord's Supper. If you didn't get one, raise your hand. We'll have guys, okay? One back here, one over here, a few right here. Yeah, you guys see that. Keep your hands up if right over here. Don't miss over here. Thanks. Yeah, you can go through the mechanics. Pull off the top foil. Church used to be the rustling of pages. Now it's the <laughs> crinkling of aluminum foil and saran wrap. All right. Why do we take the Lord's Supper in this moment? I hope it's obvious. He's our peace. It's how and the only way you and I are restored to right relationship with God. And he's our peace, horizontally. In Corinth, he wasn't their peace horizontally over the Lord's Supper. It wasn't an ethnic thing there, it was an economic. The rich were overlooking the poor and it was making a mockery of the Lord's Supper. And Paul wrote about it in 1 Corinthians 11 and said, y'all need to stop that jump. That's a loose paraphrase. But that's what he said. You need to stop that. You are remembering the love of God that broke down the wall and broke down the... And you're fighting and it's ugly. And so he says, before you take it, examine yourself. Is there peace? Are you loving one another well? That's what I want us to do in this moment. Spell your head and I don't want you to think CFC corporate right now. I want you to think you individually and ask yourself, am I loving as God has loved? Not just the people like me, but other people. Do I have his heart for every tongue, tribe, people, and nation? If not, confess it to him. Invite him to make you like your Savior. Lord Jesus, thank you for your obedience even to the point of death, for your taking death so that hostility could be abolished. We remember you We look forward to your coming. We seek to be your instruments of grace, to love as you have loved us. Would you take with me? Let's stand together and let's declare before the Lord our prayer that we would love as he has loved us.
as we leave this room, we would be known by the peace that passes all understanding. That your sun would shine through, your light would shine through in us to every person we come in contact with. God, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. And thank you guys for joining us this morning. Y'all have a fantastic day. Enjoy your Father's Day. I know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to take a nap. That's my favorite thing to do, and that's my Father's Day wish. <laughs>